Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. A lot of news going on, particularly in college football. And you know that we really don't do much with college football on the Peter King Podcast. But this week, with the impact of the closing uh, for the season of Big Ten and and Pac-12 conferences, and not really knowing about the three other power conferences as of right now, I had Pete Thamel. Uh, who I think is the best covering college football, uh, a former peer of mine from Sports Illustrated. We have Pete, uh, who works for Yahoo Sports. He'll be on this week. And also Randall Cobb, who is uh, a new Houston Texan. And I got to talk to him when I was doing my day in the life of an NFL team, the Texans, in the middle of a pandemic, which my football morning in in America column on Monday was this week. Um, a tremendously interesting column, by the way, which I'm going to talk a little bit about in a minute. But Pete Thamel first, Randall Cobb second. And before then, I want to give you a few observations about my day uh, with the Houston Texans. So a lot of people uh, basically have been saying, geez, Peter, really, please, can you please write more about football? Than, uh, than about COVID. I know it's going on, but man, we need some relief from COVID, right, about football. So I've been trying for the last couple of weeks to find a team that would allow me virtually and in any way possible to be in on a day in with the team. So um, I talked to three different teams, and at the end, I really thought the Texans – uh, were going to be willing to do the most with me. And by that, I mean they were going to be willing to allow me to sit in on some of their Zoom team meetings. Because keep in mind, you think that, hey, a team's at training camp, and, hey, they're, they're all together. But here's the problem. I did the Houston Texans last Thursday, and they were together as a team with all the coaches and players for one hour of the entire day. The rest of the time, some guys might be, uh, you know, live might be sitting there listening to Bill O'Brien or position coach, but there were others who would be on zoom, you know? And, and so that became part of my story, honestly, that very little time was actually spent together building the kind of camaraderie that you really want your team to build in a season like this. And it was amazing because I, I basically, you know, was doing this one month from the time where the Texans have to go to Kansas city. 
Remember the last game the Texans played? They gave up 51 points in their last football game in Kansas City. And now they got to go back, play them opening night with a lot of new guys and new spots for them. So that's going to be an interesting thing. But I wanted just to read you one short section of this column in which I talk about how different football is uh, in this season. And it's about when players are getting ready for the 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. window of practice, which in essence is mostly conditioning. You know, they're, they're running some plays, but only at what's called Pro Bowl tempo, which is 50% speed. Everybody just wants to make sure that everybody has their assignment right on this particular play. So I'll talk to you a little bit about what the locker room was like and what that time on the field was like. So here we go. There are three locker rooms that the Houston Texans have because they need to practice social distance for their 80 players. And in those three locker rooms, about 115, they're humming a little bit. But the locker room scene is just not the same. First of all, no big crowds. There's three locker rooms and showers are staggered to avoid crowds. Every other locker is taken out of commission. You want to talk to a guy? You got to talk like this <laughs> instead of just saying, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Uh, so John Reed, a fourth round corner, I asked him about it. He goes, it's a bit odd. As a football player, you're used to having interaction in the locker room before and after practice. A locker room's like a barber shop. A couple guys start talking, other guys join in, and it's just a big conversation. But given the circumstances this year, that's not happening. Then, you know, out at practice, it's a one-hour practice with all 80 players in the air-conditioned practice bubble. And I talked to Randall Cobb. You'll actually hear, hear him tell this story. But I write this. Normally in camp, the new guys might sit with first-time first teammates or at lunch or dinner and spend a lot of time with them together in maybe a long practice or other sessions uh, during practice. And they might stop and talk to new coaches in the hallway. But because no one has met anyone in the spring, and, and, and understand that nobody met anybody uh, of the new guys until the team gathered in late July. Because how many conversations are held between two masked people now? There's a lot of awkward little meetings. Like the one recently between offensive coordinator Tim Kelly and free agent receiver Randall Cobb. Cobb, the former Packer and Cowboy, is going to be a huge piece of Kelly's game-planning puzzle this year. And as they chatted one day, Cobb was not positive who he was talking to. He called Kelly later and said, was that you I talked to today? I thought it was you, but I couldn't really tell. Yes, said Kelly, that was me. So it's a weird, weird year. <laughs> but anyway, I hope you go back and uh, if you have a chance, read my Football Morning in America story. Loved putting that together. And the craziest thing of all, I did it all from 1,200 miles away on the seventh floor of a Brooklyn apartment building. It is a crazy, crazy world. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh... 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. But let's get into our pod right now. We're going to start off with Pete Thamel, covers college sports for Yahoo Sports. Got to know him a lot over the years, first when he was writing for the New York Times, and second when he was a teammate of mine at Sports Illustrated. Very, very well plugged in. So here's Pete. Happy to be joined this week on the podcast. Very topical guest this week. My favorite college football reporter, college reporter, period, in the universe, Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, uh, my former peer at Sports Illustrated. Pete, thanks so much. We, we are recording this just after 6 p.m. on Tuesday evening. This will drop in about 12 hours. And it's been such a crazy, crazy time in college football. And what we know now at least is two of the five big conferences in college football are not going to be playing this fall. Uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Tell me what else we need to know about the three remaining conferences. Great question, uh, Peter. I would look at the Big 12 as kind of like the, the swing state in the election. Pick Ohio, Florida, Michigan maybe, Wisconsin even, whichever you would like. The Big 12 is where all eyes are to next. Uh, as, as all the different leagues sort of set up their posturing for this week, it was very obvious that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 we're going to go first, and there was going to be a attempt, at least, to get them to go together. And as those talks went through Sunday, through Saturday and Sunday, the reality was that the SEC and the ACC said, "You know what? We set up plans to see if we could make it to the start of the season, and they they pushed back the start of their seasons fairly significantly. And we we designed what we did in our campuses to get through the students returning to campus because Peter the the thing in my mind that has always been the untenable object in the way of college football playing in the fall is how do you handle it when thousands and most times tens of thousands of students come back to your campus? Obviously, some percentage of them are going to carry the virus. It's going to spread, etc. So the SEC and the ACC, as of now, Tuesday evening, 6.08 p.m., have plans in place that they want to see if they work. And they're confident they're going to try to do that. And they've reiterated that notion in statement. Uh, the Big 12, uh, I was told yesterday that it was a little bit fractured. Today, I, I talked to two high-level sources in the Big 12, and there was some optimism going forward that they were going to follow the path of the ACC and SEC. So in the micro, 
going forward this will week, the ACC I mean, and the ACC and SEC are leaning toward playing. Is toward that right? Playing. So they're leaning toward trying to play. All right, that's that's where they are now. The SEC pushed their start date all the way back to September 26th. So they're still sort of in the starting phases of camp. The ACC start dates are a little bit earlier. Some of their some of their teams are practicing in pads. There's a prominent ACC doctor that came out today explaining why they think it's safe to attempt to go forward. So that is that that is those leagues' position right now. The Big 12, which has a call Tuesday night, could end up really doubling down and joining them, or it could go the other direction. Uh, there's 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 some uncertainty there because of some of the disparities in in opinion. But going forward, that, that that's the basic thought process of those three leagues. If the Big 12 decides to not play, what will that do to the ACC and the SEC? So right now, they're posturing that they're going to keep going and, and, and see how the upcoming weeks go. Conventional thinking, Peter, and industry thinking is that if three of the five are gone, those two are going to follow. The safest bet is that the SEC is going to be last because they're the SEC, and they at the very least institutionally want to show that they care more. Um, I do also think they have the safest, longest runway going up because if you don't start till September 26th, that means you really aren't going to start, quote-unquote, camp until early September. I believe you get 25 days of camp, uh, how colleges do it. So we're still obviously two-plus weeks away from that. The general thought process, SEC and beyond, is that you don't want to put players through camp if you don't think there's a chance to play. So as the SEC had approached this last decision to push back, um, you know, the camp date for Greg Sankey, the commissioner, was a very important date. So I would I would do the math back and say somewhere around September 1st, September 2nd will be an important inflection point with the SEC. But we can't deny that the decisions of the other leagues are going to have a special pressure on the league in its decision moving forward. You know, you had a tweet the other day that I thought was very interesting. After the Mid-American Conference said, we are not playing, you talked to a coach in the Mid-American Conference who said, in essence, that he had some worries about uh, teams filching some of their players and trying to get the stars of, of the MAC, which, you know, for those who don't know, that's Ohio University, Miami, Northern Illinois, Buffalo, Kent State, all those schools. You know, it's a level down, obviously, from the, the Power Five. But the, now, the journalism schools, Peter, are not a level down. I want that, to that is correct. That. My I know you are Ohio U grad. <laughs> the journalism school is yeah, like you know, Alabama. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry for the men of Solich, though, that they, yeah. won't, that they won't have a chance. But my big question now is, okay, let's say that you are a player in the Big Ten or the Pac-12, and you have one of those, and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there some players in college football who can transfer and don't have to sit out because they will have done so much academically? Explain yeah. that, and, and, and okay. also, yeah. if you can – explain whether you believe that let's say a really good player from Illinois or Wisconsin might transfer to Alabama to play football this year. 
Yeah. It's a good question. I was joking with uh, a longtime college official the other day. He said, if an alien came down to earth and you had to explain the nuances of college football, it would take like three weeks. And this transfer, <laughs> I, I said as a preference to like this transfer conversation, like the NFL, it's like they can be drafted, they can be free agents, they can be traded. In college, there's just all sorts of rules and the rules have rules and subsets of rules and committees of rules. But basically, if you have graduated from your school, and this is a basic transfer rule, you can transfer without sitting out. The way that transfers have just sort of evolved with, with waivers, you pretty much can get a waiver with the same ease that you can go buy a pack of gum at CVS. Um, it, and that's just for myriad reasons. So that is that going, do you, think, your, do you think that might happen in the next I, two or three I, weeks? I think there will be some of that, Peter, but I think that, what you'll get in these schools is their coaches telling them, Hey, look, they're not going to play anyway. So why go there and sit out when you can redshirt, be with your team. Here's one of the most important things uh, for for your listeners to understand. I had about 10 coaches tell me this in the last 48 hours, all levels. They said right now, if we cancel our season and I go stand in front of my team and deliver this devastating news, the worst news you can give them, this season that you've worked your whole life, your whole career for, came back, you know, stayed on campus, risked COVID, worked out for, is gone. They said, I don't even have the basic answers to the questions they're going to ask. So the first thing they're going to say is, well, what about the spring? What's it going to look like? How are we going to play? Well, they really don't know yet. Well, what happens to my eligibility? If I'm a senior, can I come back? Like, how does that all work? Mm, they really don't know that either. And then if everybody gets a red shirt year, the coaches want to know how it affect their roster because they can only have 85 scholarship players right now. So there is a, there is an information void right now um, all around, uh, all around the sport. I have a hard time imagining the NCAA giving out, especially now at, at this point, Tuesday at six o'clock, um, I believe the number is 52 or 53 of the 130 teams have already uh, punted on the season. Four, four, four conferences, handful of independents, your You're Connecticut turn, Huskies, yeah. my UMass Minutemen, meaning the states where we were born. Um, and I, uh, I, I really think that it would be hard for the NCAA to punish by giving a waiver to players transferring from those 50-something schools to the right. other 80. Now, that's a guess because this is all You know so what's so interesting flux. about that, though? What I mean, you know uh, – look – you know Nick Saban a lot better than I do, but I would bet a lot of money that Nick Saban has a couple guys on his staff right now researching all of the schools in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and looking to see where are the guys and who are the guys who can transfer and not have to sit so that maybe he gets an upgrade at left guard or maybe um, he gets yeah. a, a slot receiver from Ohio state. I, 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 but, but do you think that there's a chance of any of that? I think there's a chance, especially with the kids who've graduated. I don't think it will be this like, it won't be overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. But you know, one thing I think a lot of NFL listeners, Peter, and obviously that's a majority of your audience probably don't know is that collegiate personnel departments have evolved to the point where they are the size of and sometimes bigger than NFL personnel departments. Um, now, a lot of that is recruiting, watching tape, and some of it is, you know, nonsense. It's 
guys who make graphics, guys who reach out, guys who t- like there is a there is a whole industry of personnel in college football that essentially didn't exist 15 years ago. It's been fascinating to watch it evolve and watch it multiply. And some some college programs even have guys they call the GM now. You know, like there is a right. there's per- so personnel acquisition is a big deal, and the transfer up like players from the MAC who may go up. Um, that that's that's become a very big thing in the past five years where if you're in the SEC, you're looking at Arkansas State, and if they've got a corner who graduates in three years and is all sunbelt, you know, he can come in and be your third quarter. So that that all exists and there's tampering rules that are freely ignored. And as we move forward, it is scheduled, and who knows in COVID times, right? There's a lot of things that have been scheduled. But moving forward, Peter, it has been scheduled for there to be transfer rules eradicated come January. Um, now, some of those rules were supposed to come up this spring and they had pause on because the pandemic and they didn't want chaos. That could happen again. But once there are transfer rules, if Ohio U finds a diamond in the rough at left guard, he red shirts and you know starts looking like an NFL prospect after his, after his sophomore year, well, guess what? He's going to be able to go to Ohio State, Indiana, Kentucky, whatever it is. And the the f i'm sorry the the group of five conferences are going to start looking like minor leagues for the power five conferences and we have really already seen that in college basketball where like to the point college basketball where i've had like nec level coaches the lowest part of lowest rungs of d1 tell me that's their recruiting pitch to guys hey come here two years we'll develop you and you can go to the big east yeah that's interesting. Um, Pete, so let's talk about how this basically is going to impact the NFL. Um, I, I think it's hard for me to imagine. You know, in my column a uh, little over a week ago, um, uh, a guy named from Virginia Tech named Caleb Farley, a cornerback, wrote a piece in the column that basically said, uh, this is why I'm opting out. I mean, look, that's eight days ago. It seems like eight weeks ago that he wrote that, you know. Yeah. But but his whole point was that, look, I can't risk passing this on to my family. So I'm going to the Exos training facility in Florida and I'm going to train for the combine. I said, wow, that's kind of revolutionary. But now it seems like a lot of guys, even if schools in these two conferences that now aren't playing, even if they say they're going to play in the spring, there's probably going to be a lot of those players who say, you know, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to get ready for the combine. Hope I get an invite to the combine and then not play next year. If major college football is played in the spring and we don't know that it will or won't, if it's played in the spring, how many guys do you think will play? How many guys pro prospects will drop out and just train for the NFL? If again, this is a hard gauge to make, Peter, because I'm going to say if you are a top hundred prospect, well, th- what does that mean? Joe Burrow wasn't a top two hundred prospect right. sitting here in, yeah. in mid August last year, right? But and, and then some of it's going to come down to good old fashioned height, weight, speed, and, and all those types of things. But I can't see any guys who would be if you had draft grades of being a first, second, or third rounder. I can't see them playing the spring, and, and here's why. Um, Nobody knows what the spring's going to look like because decisions haven't been made yet. But let's just say it starts February 1st. 
you're talking about a three-month season, and then there's going to be some kind of playoff bowl. You're talking, you know, at the earliest mid-May, May, that your season's going to end. Now, the season will probably be shortened. Could be six games, could be eight games, whatever it is. But what you don't want to do is have your season end in April or May, then maybe a senior bowl, which I still think is going to really be an important event. Jim Nagy, who runs the senior bowl, does a great job, told me uh, a week ago in a story that they may petition the NFL to just let non-senior, let anybody in, just because the evaluations won't be there like they normally would be in the in the fall. He also said that he may make it two weeks because people, the NFL guys may want to get a feel. One of the things we know for sure is that scouts – will not be going to practices this year. I can't right. see that happening because of yeah. COVID, right? So there's there's an interesting process that that I learned when I when I did the series for Yahoo a few years ago on the Dolphins scouting staff. Like scouts are really like reporters, Peter. And so when they go to Alabama and LSU, they wanna, you know, they want to evaluate the prospects and body type them and see them live in practice. But they really want to know is like they want to talk to the academic counselors. They want to know if they smoke weed. They want to know if they're at the bars every night. That's really the value of the scouts, the the character references. So the scouts have sources. They could be the strength coach. They could be buddies of theirs who they were GAs with 20 years ago or position coaches. The best scouts are like the best reporters. They have the most sources. And that type of scouting on the NFL level just isn't going to happen this year. I had a scout call me the other day and just kind of pick my brain on like how I report from home because they're going to have to do that. And if, 32 NFL scouts get on a Zoom call with a strength coach that can be recorded. Don't think the strength coach is going to be like, hey, yeah, Johnny Slot Receiver, right. uh, you know, is, is, is a nice comes from That comes from sidling up to the guy. Yeah. It, maybe, maybe on the pro day or, or, or on your visit sure. to campus, it comes from sidling up to the strength coach and having him tell you that, hey, this guy doesn't love football. And he's, certain, he's not going to say that on a Zoom call. That's Correct. the problem. And Correct. and what I believe, and, and Pete, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, and I really believe it. I don't, I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I bet my house on it, but I believe it very strongly. Why was John Schneider of the Seattle Seahawks willing to pay two ones and a three, including a one and a three in the 2021 draft? Okay, and then the other one is in 22. But he paid a one and a three in the 21 draft. And why was he willing to do that? I believe it's because of the incredible and tremendous uncertainty of the draft in 2021. And whereas you're going to be, there's a good chance that you are going to be drafting a guy at 23 who hasn't played a football game in 18 months or whatever, 16 months. And I think that's going to scare off some teams. And I would bet a lot. And just my gut feeling that that had something to do with why, first of all, you would say, man, you're given two ones and a three and you're given the three next year. So you're given a one and a three. A lot of people thought that's all you're going to get for Jamal Adams. Yeah. But, but I believe they wanted to basically honestly dump out, of the 2021 draft and maybe not dump out. That's too strong a word, but they're willing to sacrifice that for an absolutely positively sure thing like Jamal Adams. And I, you know, I think this draft is going to be one of the most interesting drafts of all time, just because of how people are going to evaluate players. Yeah. 
Well, I think, Peter, you set the tone properly for this upcoming football season, and you obviously wrote it to an NFL audience. But I, I remember reading it, tweeting it out, and I've, I've been talking to sources. I, I say you basically said we just have to be prepared for the most unusual season in the history of football. Yeah, uh, I, for, I forget when you wrote that because I think it was April. I wrote it on May, I wrote it on May fourth. May fourth. Well, yeah. Come here on August. Uh, somewhere in the August teens, I think we are, you were, I mean, just unbelievably right. Uh, I just think that is, that is that. And it, you know, it's going to be fascinating in so many ways, Peter, like, you know, does the NFL make it through the season? I think it's right. a legitimate question. And a then they, are there, question. are there scab games where they're rolling a couple guys from UNH and Villanova to, to block for Tom Brady in Tampa because a couple guys went to Mons Venus the other day. I mean, just the, 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 you know, the, the most valuable guys in front offices are going to be the ones who are evaluating the taxi squads or whatever they're calling them now. Like, I just envision Belichick having, like, 14 dudes ready at Foxborough High to, like, come on a, come on a whim and, like, slide in. So I, 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 there, are, there are a lot of compelling aspects to this NFL season. But, you know, in I think college will be criticized as this year goes on because people are like, well, how, you know, how's the NFL playing in colleges? How's MLB playing in colleges? And uh, I thought Kevin Warren said this pretty eloquently today that the new Big Ten commissioner, who you probably know from his time at the Vikings, Peter, he just said, look, these are amateurs and we don't want to take the risk. And I think there's a lot of risk going into this season, Peter. And there's a lot of anger at people like Kevin Warren, to be sure. And I wonder just what will, let's say, what will Nebraska do? You know, Scott Frost is out there saying that, hey, we might play. And maybe I'm paraphrasing him incorrectly, but what does Nebraska do? Peter, I uh, I am halfway through my column on that, which will be published on Yahoo by the time, uh, but by, by the time your uh, your your listeners get it, and Kevin Warren, I pinned him down on that on the phone today, as uh, as 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 I was talking to him, I was like, look, Kevin, they're they're sitting here saying they're going to go rogue, like, can they play? I said to him, can they play NCA intercollegiate tackle football this fall against any opponents? And he said, no not and be a member of the Big Ten Conference, which wow. to me was basically like, you want your 50 million bucks, Nebraska, to go five and seven again? You know what? You can, you could go, you could go sit and run some wind sprints in Lincoln and we'll see you again in the spring. So wow. I thought that was a, uh, that was a, a Kevin, you know, fancies himself a collaborator as you need to be. The, the jobs right. of college commissioners are very different than an NFL commissioner. Um, you know, you're dealing with 14 college presidents. Now I'm sure the NFL commissioner has 30 something crazy billionaires he has to deal with, which is going to bring its own set of problems. But I really thought that was a little window into Kevin Warren's inner fire and competitiveness today when he said, yeah, hey, Nebraska, like basically shut up. You're yeah. like, you're like everybody else. You're, you're not that, you're not that special. Two, two quick questions. That was a paraphrase, by the way. I, I, and that, I, that like, it. Direct I like it. Yeah. Um, two quick questions uh, and we'll, we'll end it here, but what about, Trevor Lawrence and what becomes of Trevor Lawrence? I assume I, I, I take it from this conversation that chances are maybe 50, 50 that the SEC, or maybe a little bit better that the SEC plays this year. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously if the SEC and the ACC, you know, if the Southern schools play, then this is kind of a moot question. But I think everybody is wondering about this guy who's probably going to be the first pick in the draft next next spring. Does Trevor Lawrence, if the season is moved, does he play in the spring? 
And if the season is played in the fall, I'm assuming he's going to play in the fall. So if the season is moved to the spring, I would tell you, Peter, with strong confidence, there's 0% chance that Trevor Lawrence plays. And now with the Big Ten in the spring, I think there's 0% chance that Justin Fields plays. And the FCS has already moved. I would say there's virtually no chance that Trey Lance plays. And if the season is in the fall, I'd expect Trevor Lawrence to play. He just did start the we want to play. Yes. So yes. It, would yeah. Be, yeah. it would not be the best. That's his hashtag. Yes. <laughs> yes. I will say this about Trevor Lawrence through this pandemic. Uh, I've been around him. I wouldn't say I know him like I've gotten to know some of the other quarterbacks, uh, you know, like the Tebow's and the Lux and some of the guys I've been lucky to cover over the years. And, and you know, Dak Prescott being another develop personal relationships who I can get to know. Trevor is a little bit guarded and quite frankly, doesn't hasn't shown and flashed that much personality so far through those first two years. And Clemson wisely has been protective of him. And he's, I think by nature, nature, a little bit of a shy guy. Well, I will say this during the pandemic, we've really started to get a window into who Trevor Lawrence is. And it's really promising for the, for the NFL players. Now look, talent wise, there's no doubt. All right. Um, Now I can't sit here and stand on a table and say he's going to be the number one pick because I'm hearing a lot of momentum in NFL front offices for Lance. And I wouldn't discount fields. Fields is pretty, is pretty. Tell me a little bit about Lance. I know fields and, and Trevor Lawrence, but I don't know much at all about Lance. So Lance is the North Dakota State quarterback who is only a redshirt sophomore. And he had 28 touchdown passes last year, Peter, and zero interceptions, leading North Dakota State to an undefeated FCS championship. Yeah. Um, so he came off a redshirt season, went 28-0. and So he could leave college as an undefeated national champion who has never thrown an interception. And I would stand on the table and tell you he will be a top 10 NFL draft pick this year. Wow. And I think, really it, interesting. I, I think it could be higher. Let me finish my thought on Lawrence quickly. Go ahead. Yeah. During the pandemic, he's raised a boatload of money for charity and really kind of like poked the NCAA into allowing him to do it, which led like Sam Ellinger, uh, the Texas quarterback, who I think is going to be a decent pro, um, and others to, to do that. And he spoke up about the Black Lives Matter movement before Dabo Sweeney. I mean, he's had a much he, he has been a much better voice for the sport than many of the most prominent voices in the sport. And, you know, his sentiment and his ability to lead in this we want to play movement has been another thing that's really shown a little window into his heart. So uh, NFL front offices and NFL fans should be really heartened as he evolves into inevitably into one of the faces of the league and his golden locks. And you can already see him doing a perk plus or whatever shampoos people use these days commercial. Um, I really think we got to a little peek into the core of who Trevor Lawrence is. And it's, it's pretty exciting, Peter. He's, he's a special, special young man. Pete finally. Uh, so I, I would assume that, you know, there's probably 1500 players who are impacted by this, these two decisions today, 1,500 or so, um, there are, you know, there's a bunch of coaching staffs, however many, 22, whatever there is. But there's all of these people who've been impacted by this. And I wonder what what is the most, either the most emotional story you've heard or what is the saddest story? Maybe it's with a coach, maybe it's with a player. Um and I don't want to be too dramatic, whose dreams kind of got crushed today in either the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. What stands out to you? 
Um, couple thoughts. Uh, I got a text message from Anthony Brown, who's the, the quarterback uh, at Oregon. He's competing to be the quarterback at Oregon. He was at Boston College, started for three years, transferred uh, to the West Coast to, you know, have a shot and, you know, go win the job and, and win the national title. So he, he reached out today. I just felt awful for him. You know, you move. He's from New Jersey. You move 3,000 miles across the country. You spend three months under these crazy conditions trying to acclimate with new teammates, try to impress, win a job all while like wearing a mask under these crazy conditions. And now all of a sudden, like he was one of the graduate transfers we referenced earlier. Now all of a sudden everything's ripped away from you. So, uh, you know, as, as my text messages were sort of going like a slot machine today, I saw a text from Anthony and uh, I just, it, it hurt my heart. You know, it's just like getting to know him a little bit uh, when he was- What did he say? What did he say? I'm so sad. You know, he sent uh, a couple of emoticons, Peter. You know, yeah. you know how the uh, you know yeah. how the, players, the, the, yeah. the younger the younger the younger generation is. But I'd had a couple conversations with him. He'd been texting for information. You know, like everybody else, nobody knew what was happening. What do you think is going to happen? How do you think it's going to be unfold? So I just kind of thought of I thought of him today, leaving his life behind to go chase uh, go chase a dream three thousand miles away, and now all of a sudden that hits pause and uh, and gets interrupted. Um, I feel for Ryan Day, who really had a team that again could have you know, really won the national title. They, they really felt like Justin Fields was going to be the best player in college football at Ohio State. They have two offensive linemen who project as first-round picks. Um, they have a very, very talented roster. They were really impressed by Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma transfer. They thought this was a generational team at Ohio State. And so that's just like to have that pulled away from you, you know, the level of competitor uh, a guy like Ryan Day is, I, I, I definitely thought about him and fell for him today. But I, I couldn't agree more with your observation, Peter. I mean, hundreds and thousands of lives interrupted. You're talking about like people who run hotels and restaurants in these college towns. Uh, you know, it just reverberates all the way, all the way down to the ticket takers and the ushers and, uh, in everything. I mean, college football is a multi-billion dollar business and it's essentially hanging up a, uh, you know, hanging up a close sign or starting to hang up a close sign for the fall. And the, and the reverberations are, are going to be felt for years and years to come. One final thing. How many times, will let's say a player at Clemson okay how many times per week if it is multiple how many times per week will a player at Clemson be tested you know for COVID do you have any idea so one of the issues as we push forward here um, is that the NCAA has done very little during this pandemic in terms of leadership and there is not a uniform like college football testing and so um you know, the Big Ten, which just obviously uh, shuttered shop today, was going to have twice a week mandatory testing. Off the top of my head, I don't know what the ACC's is. Everybody released their own policy. So, like, it's been funny. Like, it's like you're tracking five sports, not one. Right, you know, right. Like, back to I was doing this day. So, um, I do think there will be testing. The big issue for colleges, Peter, that the NFL isn't facing is contact tracing. Like, if – other than COVID, if somebody had to say to me, why, why can college football not be played in the fall? It's contact tracing. Like, yeah. I heard rumblings yesterday that, you know, for Northwestern and Illinois, if they have one positive, the whole team has to shut down. Now, in the NFL, they're testing guys every other day, and contact tracing is two days. And so, and I think that cuts to the heart of some of the uncertainty and why the Pac-12 and the, uh, and the Big Ten did what they did today. Yeah, because- the you know, the NFL is testing every day, and I believe that that's going to continue. They were only supposed to do it for the first 14 days of camp, but I've heard that there have been, there's been tremendous pressure from teams, and not just from the Players Association, which, want, which wants daily testing. 
but from teams that they really want that to continue. And at the very least, they'll test like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But I believe they're probably going to at least start the season testing daily, which I think they really need to do. Uh, But anyway, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think the best case for college football in the spring, Peter, is that rapid daily testing yeah. become becomes available on all these campuses. Right if, now, it, I- if it if it you know the problem with the rapid test is that I think the NFL figures show that it's like eighty five to eighty seven percent accurate, and the other test, the nasal swab test, is up in the upper nineties, and sure. so I, I think. I think although the NFL is going to incorporate, uh, you know, that sort of instant test into its repertoire, they don't want to they don't want to have it be the prime uh, yes. focus first, you know. So and but the I agree with you. I think in the colleges, advance. it's crucial. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. the technology has to advance, Peter. Yeah. To where that 80 percent is in the higher 90s. Yeah. And at that point, if you can test every player before they walk in your facility every day and you can test every lunch lady and quality control guy and coach and staff member. I, I think administrators, presidents, commissioners are going to feel a lot less queasy about moving on with the season. Pete Thamel, Yahoo sports really, really appreciate you educating me on this. I had no clue a half hour ago. Now I am filled with knowledge. So thank you very much, Peter. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. And now my conversation with the new receiver for the Houston Texans, Randall Cobb. So back on the Peter King podcast, really happy to be joined by Randall Cobb of the Houston Texans. And Randall is, I think, determined um, to play for all 32 teams in the NFL um, because he's really made an interesting jump. He now has got... He's got Texas covered. He had the upper Midwest covered, but uh, you've been a traveling man, Randall. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, uh, this is this is my new home now. You know, I spent eight in, in Green Bay and a little uh, stop in Dallas last year on my way down here to Houston. So I'm, I'm excited to be down here and excited to get started. Good. So one of the things that one of the things that I'm doing is I'm doing sort of a day in the life of training camp. And obviously, uh, this is a weird training camp season. Um, And I wonder, of all the things you've had to adjust to, what would you say are the two or three things that have been the biggest adjustment this year in this year where you can't be together as much, you got to take a COVID test every day, all these things? What's been what's been difficult? Uh, I think the difficult point for me has been not having the opportunity to be on the field and build chemistry, not meeting my teammates until we got here and everybody's in mask. I mean, everyone from the organization in mask and trying to remember names without really being able to see people. So it makes it a little difficult from a, a personal standpoint of, of uh, you know, meeting people and and, and talking through things. So I hadn't even thought of that. So when you, because you're right, when you come up to a person and see them in a mask, how can you really get to know that person? Exactly. It made it the first time I met uh, Tim Kelly, our offensive coordinator. 
in person. Like I, I didn't realize it was him. I, I thought it was him, but I wasn't sure. And then I got home and I texted him later that night, like, Hey, well, just making sure that was you that I talked to earlier. Right? <laughs> so, you know, it makes it, it makes things a little difficult, but uh, you know, we're, we're taking it a day by day and uh, just trying to um, most importantly, understand what we're trying to accomplish as an offense and being in the right places uh, in, in the, formation and and walking through right now uh our our assignments so uh that that's the big thing right now that we're trying to adjust to how seriously if at all did you consider opting out you're a veteran you've made a lot of money playing this game um i'm sure you could go away and not play anymore and be financially well suited how much did you think about it Uh, i thought about it a lot you know i talked to my wife you know, daily through scenarios, um, you know, dating back to April. Um, you know, we, we didn't know what it was going to be. Um, you know, I I was one that was a little more vocal uh, throughout the offseason, understanding, uh, trying to figure out what our options were going to be because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, uh, the ability in our situation to be able to have the option to know. You know, I, I don't take it lightly because of everything that's going on right now with, uh, COVID and, you know, the employment rate is up. Um, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs. A lot of people can't feed their family. And I, I, I know that. And I'm in a very fortunate situation. And I, I didn't take that decision lightly at all. No. How close did you come? Uh, I, I would say I was pretty close. Um, you know, I, I have a six-month-old child. Um, my oldest will be two next week. And, you know, most importantly, their safety uh, my safety, my wife's safety is the most important thing to me. And, um, you know, being able to come here to the facility and, and walk around the building and see the precautions that uh, we're taking and, and trying to be in the best situation that we can, given, um, you know, uh, what's going on. We're, we're taking all the, the steps that we can to, to try to limit cases. And I think as far as the team so far, we haven't had anyone. Uh, test positive. So that, that that's a positive. And, you know, hopefully we continue to push forward through that. And, you know, we'll see as the season goes along what happens. How do you think you'll handle it with your family during the season? Will you be in the same room with them a lot when you go home? How, how do you think you'll you'll handle that? Well, I think right now, uh, knowing that no one is tested positive in our facility, it, it definitely makes me a little more comfortable to be around my family and be around my kids when I'm at home. Uh, but say guys test positive here at the building, it, it may make me a little more apprehensive to doing so. And, you know, if that time comes and I may look into, you know, getting uh, a hotel or something and, you know, not putting my family in, in any kind of exposure. So this is, this is such a different year and not just because of COVID, um, you know, I, I find a lot of the the social unrest and, you know, the protests and unrest in the wake of the George Floyd murder that so many people have uh, kind of woken up to some degree all over the country and not certainly not just black people, but white people, too. And just this week. You guys with the Texans, you, you've, had, you've had speakers uh, come in to talk to your team or a speaker talk to your team virtually, um, you know, whose mom had been a victim in the Charleston shooting. 
Um, it, Bill O'Brien has talked very emotionally about what the George Floyd incident did to him personally. Um, you're having a rock the vote uh, uh, meeting uh, to try to help to try to have more people register to vote. How different is that? And does that make this whole kind of training camp in preseason? Oh, uh, yeah, it's definitely different. You know, you, you go back to the George Floyd situation. You're talking about eight minutes and 46 seconds that the world being stopped pretty much. Everyone is at home, not working. Um, you know, if so, working from home. Um, it, it's a different situation. I think it, it's the first time that uh, a large population has been able to see what's happening in America. This this isn't new. This isn't something that just took place. These have been happening for years. And someone like me, uh, for, for I'll, I'll be honest, it, it you you become numb to it because you see it so much. I, I grew up in Tennessee. I've witnessed prejudice. I've witnessed things happen not only to me, but people around me. Uh, so you become aware, you know, and, and I was numb for a long time. And I think in the last four or five years, I've really opened my eyes and understand that I have a platform to where I can be a voice uh, for, for the voiceless. I, I think about my 14-year-old self. I can speak for my 14-year-old self, um, you know, that, that don't have the resources that I now have. Uh, so being able to use my platform in the right way and... You know, I think that you, you take those eight minutes and 46 seconds and you see the action that's taking place uh, throughout our country, uh, through sports, um, people using their platforms for the better and, and, and trying to bring light to the injustice uh, that, that we faced. Unlike prior times in our country where everybody was concerned for a while and nothing happened, do you have any feeling now whether you think things actually might change for the better i have hope i have hope that they can um i feel more resolved now uh when you think about some of the voices that have come out and said things some of the organizations and the businesses that have backed um a movement uh, i think that speaks um, I think that speaks volumes to uh, where we are and, and where we're trying to go. Uh, but, you know, the, a decal on the back of my helmet isn't going to change anything. Uh, what, what's going to be real change is us going to um, vote and, and going and allowing our voice to be heard, uh, not only from a presidential standpoint, but from uh, a state and local. Uh, those votes matter. Those uh, people that you're voting for, th those votes matter. You you need to know what people stand for and, and do your homework. So when you go to the polls, you know, um, not only from a president, from but from a uh, state legislator, um, the Senate, all these people that are speaking for you, you, you need to know. And uh, I think that's something that um, we're, we're trying to educate people and understand that it, that it, it's bigger than, than one vote. You're in a pretty important state for uh, for the presidential election number one, and and also a lot of local elections. Do you think you'll get involved this fall? 
Uh, I'm trying to, uh, given obviously um, where where we stand right now, uh, it, it's kind of hard to go out. You know, I'm not trying right. to go out there on the pedestal and, and do anything, but I am trying to bring light uh, and and trying to learn about um, the, the people here uh, that that are running uh, in a, in a different elections here locally. You know, you're also on your roster. You've got Kenny Stills who you know, who you'll get to play with, I'm assuming. And, and also Mike Thomas, both of those guys have been hugely active. And I wonder have you gotten to know them yet, it's early, but have you gotten to know them yet? And what sort of ideas have you exchanged with them? Uh, I, I've talked to Mike a little bit. Um, not enough, obviously, you know, like I said, we're, we're in different locker rooms Right yeah. now, we, we don't have so many people in each locker rooms. We're not really around each other as like what you would normally think in a locker room. Um, you know, we're, we're here for an hour or so here and there. And we're at home on Zoom calls for most of our meetings at this time. So, you know, when we're here, we're about our work, about our business that uh, we need to handle uh, with workouts and, and uh, with preparing for the season. Uh, so hopefully at some point we'll be able to be have a little bit more downtime in the locker room. Uh, and be able to have some of those conversations. Let's get back to football and ask you a few things about the difficulty of this year and, and also kind of the promise of this year. As we sit here, we're recording this on Thursday, August 6th. You've got a game five weeks from today that probably half the free world will be watching because it's the first NFL game of the season. And you've got to go up and play the reigning Super Bowl champions. As you look at not just sort of the football task in front of you, but no preseason games, probably not nearly as much practice as certainly your coaches would like, how difficult a task is it going to be to prepare to play football this season? Uh, at the end of the day, football is football. You know, you you want to be at the, the best shape that you can. And, you know, uh, it's, we're at different places from our training in the offseason. A lot of guys had opportunity to train. Some didn't as much. So we're at different places as far as our training. And we're trying to give a, a baseline for everybody right now and, and try to build up uh, and prepare for the season. Um, but but mentally, uh, football is a, is a very mental sport. It's about seeing the defenses and, and understanding what you're trying to accomplish offensively and uh, preparing that way. Uh, it, it's a mental process. So uh, we can still practice those mental cues and, and understanding. Um, but it, it is going to be difficult. But once we get out on the field, it's football. So uh, we'll be ready to play whenever that time comes. Do you think that you'll be able to have the same approach to playing football in the middle of a pandemic? Or do you think it'll ever be on your mind that, hey, this guy over here is sweating on me and, and, and all that? Can you, will you be able to go out and play freely? Uh, I, I think so. And I say that me personally, it gives me a lot of relief knowing that guys have been tested you know we're going into a game knowing that the guys tested negative and that he doesn't have it at that point unless he did something you know the night before the game it's going to be hard for him to get on the field uh testing positive so uh knowing that i think it, it gives you a little bit of relief to where you can kind of cut free and go play ball um 
at the end of the day, like, yeah, we'll, we'll see where this season goes and what, uh, where it leads us. Um, not to say you're an epidemiologist and neither am I, but do you have much of a gut feeling about whether this can work? I, I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I, the bubble makes sense to me with the NBA. Uh, I think they've done a great job, but it's like you're living in your own little town, own little world. Um, here, people have to go to the grocery store. People are cleaning. Um, you know, people people have all kind of things that, that's going on that they have to get out of the house for. So I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Guys are staying in hotel, have workers that's cleaning their rooms uh, that you, you, you just don't know. I think it, it's, there's a lot, little more uncertainty when it comes to that. But as long as no one's testing positive in our building, that, that's going to be the first and foremost um, thing for me. At the end of the day, you, you know, you got to trust the people around you. You know, that's, that's it. And, you know, I hate to be fatalistic, but, you know, I toured the Vikings facility two weeks ago and their trainer is a guy named Eric Sugarman. He's their infection control officer. And when I left the building that day, I said to Eric Sugarman, man, I, I, nobody's getting, nobody's getting COVID in here. I could eat off the floor in this place. And then and then six days later, he tests positive for it. I, he thinks he probably got it at home, but he doesn't know. But that's the weird thing about this. You can do everything right, and there's no guarantee. Uh, and, and, yeah, and that's why it's got to be hard for anybody, player, coach, whoever, because you can, you can do everything right, and, and you just you really never know. That's true. That's the truth. And, you know, God forbid uh, we don't have anyone that gets sick and, uh, you know, it's deathly. I think that that hopefully we don't get to that point and hopefully we don't want to see that. Uh, but that's a reality uh, that, that we could face. So we have to understand where we're at as a country and, uh, and especially trying to play a game. Uh, as much as I love this game, it's still a game and we have to remember that. So. As of now, we're on track and we're, we're doing everything we can, but we'll, we'll see as time goes. I'm highly impressed. I have no idea how you could be batting a thousand and having nobody test positive. I mean, it's it's really it's a Still pretty early. it's a Still pretty early. great. I know, but it's a great achievement for like whatever it is been 10 days, whatever, eight days. It's you guys. You guys are doing well. It's still early. Let's let's yeah. let's hold off. Let's not let's not uh, let's not be like Florida or Texas early on. In, in the well, you're in Texas, so I, I mean, am you in know, Texas, but we're I guess we're in a safe heaven here. Yeah. Two other things. Um, when you think about the offense that you're going to be in, um, and you've obviously seen and watched Deshaun Watson. Tell me what you think about your place in this offense and early on what you think of this offense. Uh, I, I think I think my role is um, going to be a lot similar to what I've done over my career, um, you know, trying to be uh, a, a third down situational guy that, you know, uh, is able to pick up third downs, uh, being on the same page with Deshaun, you know, we're trying to build that chemistry through communication, through talking through situations. And, and, um, you know, I, I think 
when you talk about our offense, we have a lot of weapons. You know, obviously with the the loss of pop in the trade, where we picked up a David Johnson and we we picked up a Brandon Cooks, and you add me to the mix. I think uh, between the four of us receivers and uh, David and Duke Johnson in the backfield, I, I think that we provide a, a threat for opposing defenses that they have to cover the whole field. So I look forward to. Uh, the, the opportunity and, and being able to continue to work and, and, and build something special here in Houston. I wonder, what is it? What is Deshaun Watson like? I know it's very early, but for you to get used to a new quarterback without having a lot of offseason time and, and without having probably as much training camp time as you want, how do you think you're going to be able to build that chemistry? Uh, I, I think, like I said, through communication, uh, you know, through conversations that we're able to have. Uh, and then when we get to the practice field, uh, being able to go through those situations. Like right now, we're just doing walkthroughs. So we, we talk about something on the sidelines and whenever we get on the field and, you know, we, we see a certain pressure and being able to adjust hot to it. That's that's trust builders. Uh, you know, whenever he comes to me, even in a walkthrough, uh, him seeing the angle that I'm going to come out of a route, like that's that's a trust builder for him. So continuing to be on point with those little details and let him know that I understand um, the offense and, and where I need to be, I, I think he'll continue to grow comfortable with me. Are you kind of excited, even though it's new to be able to play with? I mean, look, you look at your quarterbacks, you know, who you've been able to play with in your career. You've played with three guys who – you know, we're all going to play, obviously, multiple Pro Bowls and all that. It Has that been fun for you as a player, Rodgers, Prescott, Watson? It's been a lot of fun for me. Uh, I think I think one of the cool things about it is, is seeing the difference between the three and uh, continuing to, to learn from them. But also, you know, with like Dak last year with uh, Watson now here in Houston is being able to help them with – uh, the experience that I've gained throughout my career of playing with Rogers. So, um, you know, using using the things that I've learned in my career and, and, and trying to pass it along and help them out and, with their game. Hey, Randall Cobb, really wish you well. It's going to be fun to watch this year. I have no idea what's going to happen. Neither do you. And that's part of what is probably going to make it fun. Yeah, definitely. We'll see. Time will tell. Thanks. Hey, all the, all the best to you, Randall. You take care. All right. You too. See you. My thanks to Pete Thamel and Randall Cobb for taking the time to uh, explain this crazy new world, both in college and pro football. Hope you learned something. Um, a couple of interesting announcements. First, uh, the PFT live morning show that Mike Florio hosts every weekday uh, from 7 to 9 on August 24th, just two short weeks from now. Uh, Mike Florio will be taking that show to Peacock, NBC's new streaming service, um, at the same time, 7 to 9 a.m. every morning. Most mornings he's on with Chris Sims. It's a great, fun show. I pop in occasionally. A lot of knowledge being shared there. 7 to 9 a.m. on Peacock, starting on August 24th. Now, if you want to watch on NBC Sports Network, which is what it's on for the next two weeks, You'll be able to still see that as a re-air, 9 to 11 a.m., starting on August 24th. Also, a reminder, a lot of good podcasts for Chris Sims recently 
on his Unbuttoned podcast this week, special guest, Derwin James, safety of the Los Angeles Chargers. You can also see Mike Florio's PFTPM podcast. Listen to that. Um, and so much to see, so much to learn on NBC Sports' YouTube page. You'll be able to see and hear podcasts of all sorts. So that's it for this week. I will be joining you next week from the road, a special Peter King on the road podcast, and a few surprises the, from my road trip. It's only going to be a short one. It's just eight days this year on my training camp road trip. I leave Wednesday evening uh, for eight days on the road, and uh, I've been kind of itching to go out, but it's been fun, too, to be able to try to solve the puzzle of covering the NFL from an apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, I feel a little bit like a coach when it doesn't matter how many injuries you got or whatever, there's no excuses. You still got to go out and play. And I feel like it's the same thing with me. Uh, I, I don't want to give you any excuses why my column might stink this week. <laughs> so uh, I try my best to, uh, to give you stuff that I think is going to educate you, inform you about a very, very strange year in the National Football League. Until next week, thanks so much for joining me. And have a great week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.